Welcome to this episode of the Decade Podcast. My name is Melker Larson, and together with my dear friend Jonathan Angel, we are the hosts of this show. This is a podcast where we curiously explore holistic sustainability and answers to the question, how on earth can we live together? Join us as we learn from inspiring stories from champions of sustainability and beyond. We hope to inspire you to think, act, and work for a better planet for all throughout this decade of action. In this episode, we speak with Andrew Horn. He is the originator of the Social Flow Framework. He's also the founder of We Juntu, who do important men's work and contribute to meaningful rites of passages that can be missing in our society. He's also the founder of a digital solution called Tribute, where people can show their appreciation to the people they love in a new, innovative way. Our conversation today explores how we can improve our connection to ourselves and to other people, and how we can work with limiting beliefs that we have, and how do we remove the obstacles that we face from becoming the best versions of ourselves. We also explored the interesting connection between how we as change agents for sustainability can gain plenty of value towards our mission by integrating the insights that Andrew shares in this episode. And I won't spoil all the fun, but I invite you to prime your mind now already to, to note mentally or on paper what in this episode can you take action upon after listening. So with that said, enjoy the episode. Welcome to this episode of the Decade Podcast. Today, we have our dear friend with us, Andrew Horn. How are you today, man? I am doing well. Day before Thanksgiving here in the States. So just spending some time with family and feeling good. That's lovely to hear. So in this episode, I want to connect what you are working with to how we co-create a better world and talk about that. And as I see it, your work is a lot about like, how we feel going through our lives, how we relate to each other, and how to we can be the best version of ourselves. And any improvements on either of these parts, I would argue, contributes to a better world. But I'm curious to hear in your own words, if you could briefly describe what you are doing and how that relates to creating a better world. Yeah, absolutely. So I'd say that thematically, uh, everything I do comes back to the central themes of communication and human connection and the nexus of how communication helps us to build deeper, more meaningful relationships. And so on the technology front, I built a company called Tribute uh, that is the largest um, platform for helping people to create collaborative video montages that you give as a gift. So an example of that is imagine Melker waking up on his birthday and John has created a video of 20 of his closest friends and family members, all submitting a one minute video telling him why they love him. Uh, so we've given over 5 million of those videos now all over the globe. And when I think about communication and connection, that's fundamentally all about how do we help people to share their appreciation, which has been shown to be one of the most efficient and practical things that we can do to add more depth into our meaningful relationships. And so we built a technology that helps people to scale that very uh, beneficial pro-social behavior. And then I'm also uh, a speaker and a writer and a facilitator. And so uh, several years ago, I created this uh, communication modality called Social Flow, which is a four-question framework for cultivating confidence, meaningful conversation, and deeper connection. And so I uh, write about this modality. I lead uh, re retreats and workshops, but fundamentally helping people to um, shift their focus from seeking external validation and accomplishment and onto their internal motivators for communicating and connecting. Those would be intentionality, curiosity, authenticity, and presence uh, to help them to just feel more confident, like they have the tools to really be themselves in the world and connect deeply with the people that they need to. And so those are the, the big things that I'm currently focused on at the moment, but how those make a better world is that um, 
when Harvey Waldinger and Harvard University did a the longest longitudinal study on happiness, uh, they basically tracked a group of 70 people for 70 years. And I believe it was all men, actually. And hmm. at the end of their, their study, they were reviewing the data and how people's lives had progressed. And there was one line that stood out to me personally, and he gave a, a famous TED talk about this. And he said, after reviewing all this data, one thing is abundantly clear to us. Great relationships keep us happy and healthy. And they said it again, great relationships keep us happy and healthy. And great relationships are the foundation of a life well lived, in my opinion. And, you know, whether it's our personal lives and seeking uh, happiness, whether it is in our professional lives and moving forward important projects, whether that relates to sustainability or homelessness or food access or, uh, you know, equitable economic opportunities. It's we need to be able to connect with others and work with each other and collaborate to move important projects forward uh, to live abundant, full personal lives. And so uh, I'm just focused on giving people the tools that they need to connect in meaningful lives, in meaningful ways across the spectrum. Hmm. Hmm. I'm curious to hear, do, do you include the relationship to yourself in that bracket as well? Yeah, I think it's very difficult to connect with other people if we are not connected with ourselves. And I mm -hmm. think that so often the trap that many of us fall into interpersonally and relationally is that we are subconsciously searching for external validation. We are acting in such a way for other people to show us that we are enough, that we are smart, that we are beautiful, that we are successful. And so I think that fundamentally the the most important place to start is really to have a, a deeper connection with the self so that we are capable of expressing that authentic uh, version of ourselves to the world and allowing other people to receive that. And that's mm -hmm. one of the biggest shifts that, that I think anyone can undertake when it comes to improving their relationships and, and overall well-being. Mm. Mm. This is so interesting of like the authenticity part in this where, um, We've had people on this show to talk about adult development theory and how developing ourselves as persons can also relate into how we show up and act in the world if we connect that to sustainability, our ability to perhaps think in complex terms and navigate the world. Um, and there's another part that you mentioned. You mentioned that you call this social flow. And I'm really curious to dig into the, the flow part because you're the first person I've heard talk about this in terms of social flow, because otherwise I've heard it talked about in terms of like peak experiences where you are, for example, doing climbing or um, music or anything that you get lost in the process. Um, yeah. But I want to hear your take on it like socially. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I, my, my favorite thing to do is surfing. It's, it's my mm -hmm. church. It's where I, I find the most energy you never have to force me to do it. If I have an opportunity to, I will always do it. And for anyone who's listening to this, just ask yourself, like, what is that thing that you just love doing for the sake of doing it, right? It's like, maybe it's reading, maybe it's writing, maybe it's creating, traveling, like whatever that is, just what's the thing that you love doing for the sake of doing it. Um, so those are the places that we tend to find flow states. And one of the reasons that we have that is so flow states, again, it's basically a, a field of study, uh, researching the peak state of human performance. So it was founded in the 1980s by this guy named Mihai Csikszentmihalyi at the University of Chicago. And for most of the past 40 years, the research here was being applied to entrepreneurship, artistry, athletic achievement. Uh, and as I started to learn more about flow states, one of the things that Mihai Csikszentmihalyi and other researchers have developed is this theory of something called flow triggers. And it's basically... Uh, what are the things that we can put our attention on and what are the preconditions that make a flow state more accessible or available to people? So flow triggers, right? So some of the conditions that would make flow more accessible is when the challenge meets our skill level. We need to be doing things that are just out of our reach because if we're doing things that are too easy, it doesn't require our full attention, right? So we want to be doing things that are challenging, but not so challenging that we can't accomplish our object that's there. 
another precondition is uh, full presence and focus on what's happening. So we're fully present on what's happening right now. I'm looking at the two of you. I'm not thinking about what I'm going to have for breakfast next. I'm not thinking about what's going to happen on Thanksgiving. I'm just right here. So full attention. And one of the most important flow triggers was this thing called, uh, is this thing called intrinsic motivation. And intrinsic motivation means that we are doing something uh, not for any specific result or outcome, but because we enjoy the thing itself. So intrinsic motivation is doing the thing because we enjoy the thing, not because of what the thing is going to get us. And uh, another thing that Mihai Csikszentmihalyi says in his book, he says that for, for people who desire to create more flow and ultimately more happiness in their lives, the one thing they can do that would contribute to that transformation more than anything else is to develop an autotelic personality. And the word autotelic is one of my favorite words. And autotelic means something that is done for its own sake. And you, you think about Alan Watts has a great comment on the purpose of life. He says, uh, someone asked him, what's the purpose of life at a, at a, at a lecture he was giving. And he said, well, I would compare it to a, like a symphony or dancing. He says that the purpose yeah. of a symphony is not to finish first. Like mm. the purpose of dancing is not to be the fastest. The purpose mm. of doing those things is to do them. Mm. And similarly with life, the purpose of life is to live, is to do the thing, right? We're not getting anywhere, just to live. And so when we think about... Uh, basically what helps people to get into flow states, that intrinsic motivation. What I started to realize as I was synthesizing best practices for confidence, meaningful conversation and connection, what I realized is that the most successful people that I experienced and also as I started to live this was the result of me honoring and engaging and expressing myself from that intrinsic motivation. When I was not showing up in a room waiting for someone to tell me that I'm smart, to accept me, to tell me that I belong. But just when I was connecting with my own authenticity, my own curiosity, my own intentionality, and allowing that to be enough to communicate that so much of the tension, resistance, and anxiety that I experienced for most of my life started to drift away. When I became less obsessed with the end result of my communication and became fully present, I noticed that I started to achieve my my goals much easier, much more easily and with much less resistance. And so it really is that that same shift that you would see in other types of flow states, which is just doing things because you want to do them. Similarly, for communication and interpersonal dynamics, it's understanding what do I enjoy about just talking to people? How can I turn myself into an autotelic conversationalist where I just enjoy the process of being with people? that the conversation in and of itself is rewarding, right? I'm enjoying this moment with you right now because I'm just present. I'm connected with my own excitement, my own passion, what I want to know about you guys. And so the opportunity to be present with those things is just rewarding. And if this turns out to be the best podcast you've ever done and people love it and I book a $25,000 speaking gig in Sweden and I get to come see you guys, <laughs> great. But I'm not thinking about that. I'm just thinking about this moment. Yeah. Love all that. And uh, there's something interesting here I want to like explore further with you personally about. So I imagine that as we step into being more authentic and being expressive and being who we want to be, they will also come off as more attractive, like either romantically or just in a platonic way. But I'm, I imagine that this is not a switch that you just flip. How was the process like for you going from, I don't know how you felt before you got into the flow states, but uh, I can certainly relate to being sometimes more socially anxious in some situations and yeah. trying to now when I know about your framework and the social flow methodology, trying to remind myself of the questions that they have in there. But for me, it's certainly not that, okay, now I got it figured out and that's done. How do you relate to the process of becoming authentic and being present? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, without bearing the lead, I'll just tell people again, kind of what this, the four questions of the social flow framework are. And then I'll talk mm. about, I think, some of the important work that allows us to embrace this. Um, but what I will introduce is this idea that for anyone who's listening to this, who identifies as dealing with social discomfort, social anxiety, shyness, that number one, you're in the majority. 
most sociological data here shows that over 60% of people identify as experiencing that type of social discomfort, shyness frequently in their lives. So the majority of people on the planet experience this. It's very normal. And what I would introduce here is that anytime we're in a social situation and we feel tension in our bodies, that oftentimes shows up as a contraction. Anytime we feel resistance or an aversion to engaging, let's say that you're at a party or you're at a conference and you're worried to go and say hi to somebody new, um, that those are all markers that we are likely focused on external forces that we do not control. And so we can, and again, the external forces that we don't control is we don't control how people perceive us. Uh, we don't control the outcomes of our interactions. We only control like what we put into them. And so what we can do is that if we feel any of those symptoms, right, the tension, the aversion, the resistance, is that is an opportunity to then say, okay, I'm focused on external outcomes, stories about what's happening outside, and then come back to the internal motivators of, well, what do I want to contribute here? And that is the four question social flow framework is what is my intrinsic motivation to show up, to communicate, to connect. And the four questions follow this uh, four letter acronym. So say it with me, boys. I can. I can. I can. I can. And so I can is I-C-A-N. Since for intentionality, curiosity, authenticity, now. So you walk into a room, you feel that tension in your stomach. I'm worried that I'm not going to fit in. People aren't going to like me. So I come back into the four question framework. Intentionality. How do I want to show up here? How do I want to be? And it's this idea of you can be the thermostat or the thermometer. The thermostat reads the temperature in a room. So you go in and you're reacting to it. Therm or the thermometer reads the, the energy. The thermostat sets the temperature in the room. It basically says that by saying, how do I want to be, giving yourself three variables of I want to be excited, I want to be present, I want to be calm. It's now I'm giving myself uh, a mental model and priming myself to be able to express those desired states of being, which are more aligned with who I am. So just there, we're actually showing ourselves, well, here's how I want to be. I can go and be that way. Uh, the C, curiosity, is what do I want to know? So often our tension and resistance and anxiety comes from telling ourselves that we need to be a certain way to connect, to belong, to influence other people. And what uh, curiosity does, it shows us that we actually have enough to connect with other people simply by being curious and finding the questions that honor our curiosity. So what do I wanna know about these people? Giving yourself a list of the questions that you wanna know about these people shows you that your curiosity is enough to connect, to drive you into a meaningful relationship uh, in any interaction. And then authenticity is just basically pointing our curiosity internally and showing ourselves, well, the same things I'm interested about other people, what am I excited to contribute or share here? And so what's real for me right now uh, and that can be topical about events, ideas that are going on. And then as you start to master this more, uh, we start to come into our emotional experience. And I believe that the, the quickest way to engineer trust with other people is to tell the truth. And one of the most honest things that we can share, the realest things we can share with people is our emotional experience. And so the more that we can connect with our emotional experience, especially when we use physical sensation to ground that, it's I feel excited in my chest, is that that is one of the most effective ways to engineer trust with other people where they believe that we are sharing something that is real for us. And it's uh, a really powerful way to engineer connection. And you know, the, the, the more that we can eliminate the gap between us connecting with our truth and allowing that to be enough, that trust is one of the sexiest things that people can experience. And when you are in the presence of someone who is unabashedly themselves and shares that, even if you don't respond to it, there's a respect in that because we can feel that. We can feel that person who trusts themselves and it makes us trust them as well. And then the last one is just now, is coming back into the present moment. And it's that most times when uh, we're feeling anxiety, like we're living in a story of what's gonna happen in the future, uh, we're worried about how someone is gonna respond to us, and the easiest way to come back into the present moment is always our breath. And it's simply taking a couple of breaths. It's like literally box breath, four seconds in, four seconds out, hold at the bottom, hold at the top. Um, but you can only breathe into the present moment. And, you know, again, it's, 
a couple of simple breaths is like one of the easiest ways to regulate the, the autonomic nervous system. And, and when we do that, again, what we do is we, we give ourselves a moment to pause. It's so often we are just subconsciously reacting to our environment. Mm. And when we consciously come back into the present moment and we give ourselves that little pause, that's where we give ourselves the opportunity to respond thoughtfully rather than reacting instinctively. And then we just get to come back to those internal motivators. That is how we do that. You had asked that this is obviously not something that we do right off the bat, right? This is something that we need to practice. And so what I would say there is that one of the most important things to consider is that this is a, a, a tactical, strategic approach to confidence, to communication, and to connection. And so basically what I would think about here is that um, there's a really powerful construct called the identity model of change. And the identity model of change was covered really extensively in James Clear's Atomic Habits, which is probably going to be one of the best-selling nonfiction books of, of all time. Like maybe even the number one. It's, it's incredibly uh, successful and, and for good reason. It's a great book. That book is all about habits. And habits are all about behavior change, which I think when we look at, at coaching and sales and marketing and so much, I mean, fundamentally, I think so much boils down to behavior change is that we want to get people to change their behavior. For y'all, you want to get people to change their behavior so that we can sustain life on planet Earth, which I would be yep. really stoked for that to happen, right? And so <laughs> And for me, it's I'm looking for people to change their behavior so that they're they're happier, more confident, more connected. Uh, they're more capable of pushing their pro like so. Behavior change is like the the foundation of it all. And the four questions of social flow that is a, a strategic element that is giving you the tools in the moment to act. Uh, but what's more important than strategies and tactics when it comes to behavior change is our identity. And our identity is who we think we are. And then when we think about our social identity, that is not only who we think we are, but it's who other people think we are, hmm. right? So if, if I were to, and it's, a, it's, a, it's an abstract question, but a very important one, uh, because whether we have taken the time to sit down and write, I am Melker, here's who I am. This is what I'm about. But whether or not you've taken the time to articulate that explicitly, you have a subconscious articulation of here's who I am. We all have a self-concept, right? And unfortunately for most of us, our self-concept, who we think we are, is riddled with limiting beliefs about who we are, why we suck, what we're incapable of, because that is the, the brain's subconscious way of motivating us. Hmm. It tells us that we are not enough because our reaction to that is that we will fight against that story to make sure that it is not true. But what that leads to is a lot of stress, is a lot of anxiety, and is a lot of tension along the way. And so uh, what's really important about the identity is that where it will so often be constructed of these limiting beliefs is that there's also an opportunity to consciously integrate empowering beliefs that liberate a way of being that is more aligned with who we truly know ourselves to be. And so when it comes to this way of communication, I'm going to give you some examples of my identity that helped me to communicate this way, right? Mm -hmm. So a belief that I have is that when I trust myself and share authentically, I create space for other people to do the same thing, hmm. right? So it's like, that's not a strategy. That's a belief, right? That when I am authentic, I create space for the two of you to be more authentic and more real. And from a values perspective, which when I think of, like the, we talked about who am I as an abstract concept. And so just very practically to make that a little more concrete, the easiest way to articulate who we are is by articulating our values. It's ultimately, I think that we are our values what we stand for, what we believe. And so identity is really our values and our beliefs. And that's what makes up our self-concept. And so I have these beliefs that is 
when I'm authentic, that it's an act of service. And so when I allow myself to trust those strategies of intentionality, curiosity, authenticity now, I'm actually creating space for other people to do that as well. I, I believe that, again, it's that the only way that I can truly connect, that I value deep connection. And that the only way that I can deeply connect is that if I allow the real version of myself to come forward. Mm. It's that if I'm holding back, if I'm resisting, if I'm playing small, other people aren't capable of receiving the real me. And mm. so I can't honor my value, my piece of my identity of deep connection if I hold back, if I resist. And so these are examples of beliefs that I have that help me to then implement and express these strategies in real time. But if we have stories, like most of us do, one of the most common that I experience with my clients and with organizations is I can't be the real me. I can't, I can't, I can't be fully honest. You know, like that can't be true. So we have these stories that I can't be fully honest or, or people won't respond to me, right? It's that, or that, People don't think that I'm successful. People don't think that I'm smart, like whatever these things are. And these things, they just end up inhibiting us, right? It's they're these minds defensive tactics because again, from a biological perspective, it's our, our brain is engineered for survival above all else. And our belonging, our social connections are, were directly correlated so deeply to our survival in tribal times of, of human civilization, because if we were ostracized by other people, we get kicked out of our tribe, we'd miss the hunt and we're dead. Mm. And the, those same impulses are still alive where we correlate the fear of rejection with the fear of death. Like that's how mm. much we fear it. Mm. But actually it's what I also flip on there, right? Is that like rejection is a bad thing. I honestly believe that I, I look at rejection now that when I'm showing up as the real version of me, that rejection, while painful, is illuminating about where I should be investing my energy, is that I, I for so long in my life, I wanted everyone to like me, and it was fucking exhausting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so that, again, that belief that I, I don't want to be liked by everyone, right? Mm -hmm. It's that, it, and so when I am showing up as myself and people don't respond to me, I believe like, oh, that makes sense. Like not everyone is going to be for me, but also that the people that do connect with me are going to get the real version of me and that's going to be deep and meaningful. Mm. And so these are, these are what I look at as, and what I call constructing the social identity. Mm. And, and I have a, a, a whole worksheet that's on my website with anyone who wants to do this. Mm. But I think that if we want to do this, if you were to practice those four questions anywhere you go, they would be helpful for you because it's going to shift your awareness from external forces to internal motivation. Mm. That right there is going to be helpful. Mm. But to truly embody this and to start to subconsciously bring it into your life, what we really need to focus on is on this aspect of the identity is mm. who am I and what do I believe? And mm. when our values and our beliefs start to align with these strategies, that is when we will start to bring them into our lives without even thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what I'm, this is so fascinating and it's so many things that resonates with me deeply, both with what I'm been going through myself or experiencing myself right now. And I think what I'm hearing a lot is to kind of reprogramming our subconscious mind to something that is more healthy towards ourselves or the person that we desire to be so going through this you talked about obviously the, the four questions and I'm, I'm, i've actually used them quite a bit when uh, recently since uh, since we met this summer and uh, as you say they are they're very helpful to kind of get into the situation that you you're going to encounter in and it really helps to really be in the present and have something to focus on and shift away the focus on these internal stories that show up or uh, beliefs that are inhibiting us from from being truly there yeah but um i'm curious to unpack that a bit more about the empowering beliefs because i think that's even if you go in with these questions to me it feels a bit light also that this is so 
so easy that these inter- internal stories come up in either, either way and we get anxious how we're going to perform and stuff um so would you it's a great question yeah how would you say that like having your empowering beliefs as, as cornerstones how do you how have you personally worked with them how can one develop them and so, can you speak a bit more to how you can create a more healthy relationship to that internal self and develop these empowering beliefs. Well, yeah, a really, a really helpful distinction here is that uh, when it comes to empowering beliefs, it is not helpful to make up a belief that you don't actually grok as somewhat true, right? Mm -hmm. So it is not helpful to say, like my belief is I am the most confident and sexy person on the planet unless you really believe that, right? It's like the goal here is to find the empowering beliefs that we can find some truth in and that those are the ones that are really helpful. And what happens here is that uh, establishing an empowering belief is not just the practice of writing it down and saying, I believe that. Mm -hmm. It is the process of giving your mind the empowering stories and that you can then start to act into and collect evidence for. Because here's what's happening is that our brains are going to subconsciously create limiting beliefs about ourselves. Every single person on the planet does that. It's again, it's that our brains are these meaning-making machines. And again, our brains are hardwired for helping us to survive. And what happens is that limiting beliefs, not enough, not attractive. I can't be myself. This isn't going to work out. It's our brain subconsciously thinks about the worst case scenario so that we are prepared for it if it were to happen. Mm. The brain is just doing its job. That's what it's hardwired for. But Mm. our goals, the three of us, we're not, our, our primary objective is not for survival. Our primary goal is more something like transcendence, right? Yeah. Like that's what we're, I'm not, I'm not here saying like, I need to survive. No, I'm saying I want to make millions of dollars and like have beautiful relationships and see the world and connect deeply with, you know, everybody. So what we need to do is first welcome in those limiting beliefs and rather than resisting them or saying like that they're true, what we can tell ourselves is there's a big difference between this of, listen to this, I am not enough versus I am having a thought that I am not enough. So that simple thing transforms our relationships to limiting beliefs. Mm -hmm. I am not enough. I am having a thought that I am not enough, right? Because so often we internalize the limiting stories as true when actually yeah. they're they're just thought they're thoughts right mm. and so it's imp- that that one that one little switch in there is that i'm having a thought that i'm not enough just mm. shows us oh this is a thought this is not reality this is not objective truth so once you realize that it's just a thought it has less of the power but then where the fun comes in of like literally the first book that i i ever loved was the stranger was kemu on existentialism and absurdism and it was basically the idea that Life is empty and meaningless. We get to make up the meaning. And when we realize that, we can start to make stuff up that helps us to have more fun with, with life. And so, so now you, you've kind of understood that those limiting beliefs are going to be there. Mm. We can take the power out of them by just acknowledging that it's a thought and also welcome it in. That's a really important aspect here. Like the next time that you are present to any of that tension, pause and just give yourself like, just welcome it in. Like, it's normal that you're here. Everyone experiences these types of limiting beliefs and feelings. And so it's there. And we're not getting rid of those. What we are doing is introducing the the opposite of the limiting belief and the empowering belief. And what happens is that when we start to ask ourselves some questions to establish these, what we can look towards is something like, what do other people like about me? I don't know. Like, you tell me. So, like, Melker, like, Jonathan, like, what? Give me. What do you think? It's like, what do you think people like or respect about you? I think they like that I am a very funny thinker, 
and uh, that I share my thoughts in interesting ways. Cool. People like about me that I I often hear that I'm a thoughtful, good listener. Mm. Cool. And so the thing is, is that so these are these are just two examples that are here, right? And so what happens is that when we take the time to write down, and I really mean this, is that you will do yourself a huge service if you take the time to sit down and articulate what are all of these, what do people like about me? And you write down every single one of those because what happens is you take it from the subconscious awareness into our conscious awareness, right? That people think I'm thoughtful. People think that I'm a a fun thinker. It's that, and then what happens is our mind craves certainty. Cognitive bias is a very real thing. When we think something is true, our mind will subconsciously look for the pieces of evidence that reaffirm that truth, right? Mm. Cognitive bias is a very real proven thing. And the same can be said for our beliefs. It's that, but if we're not really aware of those empowering beliefs, then we're not collecting evidence for them or reaffirming them. They're just there, right? And we're deeply, deeply aware of our limiting beliefs because it's been that same conversation in our head for as as long as we've been socialized. And so what happens is that when we start to articulate these, we, we allow our mind to collect evidence for these new stories to be true. And so the things that we can ask ourselves would be these questions like, what do other people like about me? The other things would be, what do I like about myself? The other things was like, what is my unique value that I contribute relationally? And by answering these questions and getting clear about like, again, so here are some of the things that I think people think about me. And when we also think about like, what are my values relationally? How do I want to be, right? It's like, I want to be kind. I want to be honest. I want to be silly. When I start to connect with these values again, Like these are opportunities where I can start to collect evidence when I am those things socially, which just give us kind of like a a clear roadmap of, of how to be. And so there's this process of not just articulating the empowering beliefs, but also when it comes to our limiting beliefs, it's very clearly doing the same thing on the other end, which is what are the, if you ask yourself that question, which is like, what are the limiting beliefs that I hold about myself? Like, what are the negative things that I think other people perceive about me? Mm. And that one is a, is a huge wake up call when people do that. If you sit down and you take 15 minutes to say, what are the negative beliefs that I hold about how people perceive me? People think that I am X, right? That I'm not successful. People think that I'm not deeply smart or, you know, one of the, I'll just be, be honest here. It's like one of the ones that I held for a really long time was that the men, especially that I admired did not see me as their equal or their peer. I spent a lot of time with very successful men and I had this deep insecurity that the most successful men, the ones that I admired and wanted to connect with, didn't see me as their peer. Mm. And when I, I looked at that one day and I, and I just said like, oh, like once you have a story like that, there's a very easy way to unplug it, which is there's a, a great body of work by this woman named Byron Katie called The Work. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so you guys have done this before. And so when you look yeah. at that, you can basically just ask yourself four questions. So it's the, the most successful men that I want to connect with don't see me as their equal. That's a limiting story that I could work through here. The first question is, is this true? And I would say, is this true? Oh, it feels true. The second question is, can you absolutely for certain know this is true? It's like, well, no, I can't know for certain this is true. So with those two questions, you show yourself that similarly before that this is a thought, right? It's not a binary yes or no. You show yourself that it's a thought, it's a story, it's a belief. The next thing that you would ask yourself is, how do I respond when I accept this story as true? And so for this story, I would say, when I accept this story as true, 
it makes me feel anxious. It makes me feel worried. Uh, it makes me feel resistant in social situations with these types of people. So now what I've acknowledged with these three questions is that this made up story is engineering a response in me where I am less of who I want to be in the world. And then the uh, fourth question is, who would I be without this story? So if I didn't have this belief that the most successful men don't see me as their peer, who would I be? Man, I bet I feel a lot more confident. I'd feel a lot more like myself. I'd probably be a lot more likely to create connection with these people. And then the other part of the, uh, and then after you go through those four questions, there's something called the turnaround. And so you would ask yourself the question, could the opposite be true? Could the opposite be true? And I, and I looked at this story that I had that had been so pervasive. And I remember just a moment of laughing at myself because there were so many examples of the men who I truly believe to, to see as some of the most successful men I know on the planet through, through impact and material success who fucking love me so much and that I know <laughs> do. But the thing is, is that this is, this is again, what the mind does yeah. is our mind is looking for cognitive bias for the limiting belief because it wants us to keep achieving. It wants us to prove it wrong. Mm. And so I, I just remember, so it's like that now like that limiting belief is, is just gone. And so I look at, you know, what is my unique value to, to contribute? It's that I, I can play with a different story, which is that actually the most successful men on the planet see something really unique and valuable in me. That's like, and that's may not be for everyone, but it's true. Right. And I get to engage that. And that gives me a new confidence to not need to be liked by really successful men, but just to know that some probably are going to buy into me and I'm going to love it and be myself. And so, so playing with beliefs on this level is, is super powerful. And again, it's, we start by articulating like, what are those limiting beliefs that I hold about myself mm. doing an actual audit and creating all those there so that you can look at them, mm. allow yourself to take the power out of them, acknowledge that they are thoughts and that they're already impacting you. Second is introduce some of the empowering beliefs. What do other people like about me? What do I like about me? And then the third step in our social identity is what are my relational values? How do I need to be for me to be me in the world? And one of my favorite definitions for, for confidence is that confidence is just the act of liking ourselves and telling the truth. Confidence is liking ourselves and telling the truth. And so it's very important because it's, if we don't like ourselves and liking ourselves, I think there's a, there's a very important distinction between liking ourselves and, and loving ourselves and liking ourselves is all about how we perceive ourselves to act in the, in the world. So it's like, if I look at Andrew and how I interact with other people and how I run my business, it's, it's about how I show up in the world, how I express myself. And then loving myself is a more internal relationship. It's separate of basically how I am in the world. It's just how, what, what do I think of me for me? And that's where self-love I think comes from. But liking ourselves is also super important because if you do not like how you are showing up relationally. If you don't like what you're investing your time in, in the external world, that I think that pragmatically, it's like you shouldn't be thinking about relational skills to feel more confident alone. You really do need to be thinking about how to like yourself more. What are the things that I can do in my relationships, in my career, in my free time with my health that will help me to like myself? And that because if I, if I don't like myself and I'm telling the truth, basically, you know, that, that probably isn't going to engineer confidence. And so mm. um, that's a fun way to think about it. And also you're going to have a, a little hero introduction here, which is my five-year-old son. And so hero, I'm on a podcast right now with two wonderful men. And so can I please ask you to go out to, I'm on a, a podcast. I really need you to, to go. Uh, sorry guys. Okay. Sorry about that. Yeah, no worries. Malika can edit afterwards. So. 
Okay. Yeah, but maybe I don't want to because I think this is a really interesting thing to explore as well because uh -oh. and I've had this curiosity. Yeah, uh-oh, here we go. So as you have gone through learning about social flow and embedding it into your personality and how you show up in the world and obviously coached and talked and workshopped with a lot of adult people, a thought that comes to my mind is that, wow, I really wish that this was something I could learn about the beliefs in my own head, the self-sabotaging and those types of thoughts when I was young so that I felt confident and became the best version of me rather than going in loops and circles and everywhere. So what I'm actually wanting to ask you now is that how do these insights from your work and your life uh, translate into your relationship to your son as a father? How are you being the the social flow guide for for him for hero yeah i think what's what's really fun about this body of work is the the practice and the teaching is directly correlated to my life in a way it basically what i mean by this is that social flow is not a practice just for your conversations, connecting with people, it's ultimately about a path back to living an authentic life, moment to moment. How can I really start to acknowledge that which is out of my control and come back into what do I have agency over? And the, the more that I allow myself to come back into that frame, the more effective I am at teaching and sharing this in the world and the more my life improves. And so it's I teach and I share, I refine my understanding of this and then I get to go back and live my life. I'm happier and then I get to go back and teach more from a happier place. And so it's this beautiful symbiosis that's there. And so I think that with, with Hero, it's kind of the same for most other places in my life, but it's just uh, our relationships are where we we receive accountability to be who we are. It's we can't we can't actualize the self in solitude. It's that we we really do need mirrors and people that that show us who we are, that reflect who we are. And a child, in my experience, is just one of the most beautiful laboratories, like to have this relationship. Um, because again, they will they will challenge and they will act out and do all of these things but it, it's a constant reminder like right now when he's talking to me and i've asked hero not to talk to me while i'm on this so i love you i'll be down soon uh which is that they will constantly present the opportunity to respond as as your most authentic self and so with hero it's it's so fun because I think that when I look back at at my my upbringing, my mother is an, an author and a speaker, and um, she did a lot of this work, which obviously influenced what I ended up going into. But mm. I grew up around a lot of people in the realm of personal development and personal transformation. And the thing that I saw so clearly as a young person is that the most effective teachers and the teachers that I personally responded to were not the people who were telling you how the world works and what to do. They were the people who were asking you the best questions. Yeah. It's that it is slower and less direct, but when it comes to truly empowering people to change, it's not the guru who's saying, do this and do that. It's the person who's really asking you the questions and giving you an opportunity to answer for ourselves that are the most thoughtful and just for me, the, the people that I connected to and that I was most transformed by. And so I think I really tried to, to live that with, with Hero and, and anytime I'm in a teaching dynamic is that it's, it's so easy to tell someone how it is or what to do, but what is, you know, truly going to be most beneficial is taking the time to ask them the questions and let them figure out some answers for themselves that are truly, you know, meaningful for them. 
Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to go into now, we're like, this time is flying away, like for sure. And um, we're so thankful for you sharing all your perspectives on here. And as I'm hearing all this, I'm thinking of like our audience who are interested in sustainability of if we can show up as more authentic and be the best version of ourselves, I think that can impact immensely what we have talking about uh, on this show that we are playing with the thought of we want to make sustainability sexy. We want to make it something that people are longing for. We want to make it something that is inherently something that you want to step into rather than just run away from because you're associated with negativity and badness. So I'm I'm really curious to see what if we practice this and it becomes a social thing and like reaches a sort of social tipping point what this can influence in society when more people with good interests are showing up in the world. And that's the other part of what I wanted to explore is that one belief that I hold uh, connected to values. And you said that if we show up more authentically and in line with our values, my belief is that humans beyond the fear, beyond the trauma, beyond the anger are inherently good to some degree. Uh, that there is that goodness within each and every person. So I think the more we can individually be in touch with these values, yeah, I believe, and and as we express these values, I believe that will result in a better world. Is that something that you adhere to? Why not? It feels <laughs> better to believe that people are good. Like that's a great example, right? It's that story. People are good. This is the this is the absurdist viewpoint here is that like we get to make this up and how do I respond to the story that people are inherently good for me that makes me feel more trusting makes me feel more relaxed around people makes me more excited to to meet and connect with new people and so what I would say is yeah why not I like that story better than people are inherently bad and manipulative and that I can't trust them so yeah, I do also hold that belief, but also it's just a fun way to kind of extrapolate some of the other earlier things that we were talking about there. And um, as it relates to sustainability and, and connecting with people, like I, again, I, I do believe that when we are sharing from our own experience, from our own values, from our own passion, that it is uh, so much easier for other people to connect with that and to be truly influenced. And I think even when it comes to issues like sustainability, I think that the trap that we oftentimes fall into is that we want to shame and blame other people who don't understand or see the world in the same way that we do. Mm. And we we think that, again, like we, we talked about behavior change as our ultimate goal earlier on. And I think that when we look at behavior change, a very common misstep for humans is, is we think that shame and criticism will be an effective tool to change behavior. We think that putting fear into people will be an effective motivator. Mm. And fundamentally, they are not long-term. It's that putting fear into people's eyes, shaming individuals, you may get momentary shifts in behavior. But again, people's behavior will always revert back to who they are and what they truly believe. And we don't change people's beliefs through shame. We don't change people's sense of themselves through fear. So I think, again, it's that when we're leading with our authenticity, with our own passion, with our own belief, people are more receptive to that and to truly changing. And it's another aspect of, of social flow is really how do we embrace the context of selling, of pitching, of talking about ourselves and our ideas in moments that they matter. Because an experience that I had was I started my first nonprofit when I was 21. And so much of the, the material that I was brought up on and that I read early on was it, it felt like such a self centered approach to selling and getting what I wanted, that I felt a deep sense of guilt asking for money and doing all these things. And it led to a real resistance mm -hmm. that kept me from sharing my nonprofit to the extent that it probably deserved. And so a big part of social flow for me was not only using these techniques in a social or personal context, but also in a professional context, which is how can I connect really deeply 
to my personal passion and beliefs and my ideas and my products and my services and be intentional about how I share those so that other people are more available to buy into them at the level that they deserve. And so there's some very tangible things that we could even talk about there that might be directly relevant for sustainability. And like, we can talk about what some of those are, if it's interesting to y'all. Yeah, there are so many things that we can uh, dive into and um, unpack. And uh, But unfortunately, we're rounding up on our time frame here. But I just want to, yeah, thank you so much for sharing so many of your insights and from from your journey of being or becoming more authentic and sharing this inspiration for others to embark on, on their own journeys. So thank you for that, Andrew. But lastly, before we really round up here, I would like to ask you our signature question. What would you like to encourage to listeners throughout this decade? Um, I would simply remind people that the most important ingredient in a life well-lived are deep, meaningful relationships. And this is not my opinion. There is research that backs this up, but ultimately the secret to living a well-lived life are great relationships. Mm. And I would encourage everyone to uh, be intentional about who the people are that you want to cultivate deep relationships with. Take the time to think about who those people are and to take the time to simply reach out and let them know and to invest time into those relationships is that mm. I, I think that, that that simple reminder that our relationships are going to be the thing that provides the most meaning, the most joy in our lives. And just to come back to that and to ask yourself a question, am I showing up for the people in my life the way that I want to? Mm. And if the answer to that question is yes, I surely bet that you will be looking at your life and thinking that you're doing okay. It's that, yeah, relational success is, is life success. And so um, the more that we can take care of the people around us, and if everyone starts to do that, I think that we have a be more beautiful world for all. So that would be the reminder. Yeah, that's so thoughtful. And it's... Uh... It's something that is so easy to, to get take for granted sometimes as well. That we to uh, take for granted all the people that we have around us, and because we're so used to it. But to really show gratitude for that and uh, honor that, I think it's uh, beautiful. And that's very on topic for what uh, Andrew is working with. So, in in this last second here, is there anything that you want to share that you're excited about, or and then also where can people find out more about your work and about who you are. Yeah. So uh, I am most excited about a bunch of stuff, but I think what's probably most relevant for people who are listening to this and, and connected to this work is I have a number of retreats coming up in the new year. So number one, you can check out Tribute if you want to give someone a group video montage as a gift. It is one of the best things that you can give to someone on a big milestone birthday or occasion. I also do men's retreats through an organization I started called the Junto. We have one of those coming up in January. Uh, we have a in-person social flow workshop happening in February in Austin, Texas. And then we're going to be doing a virtual in March. So for anyone who wants to go deeper, uh, we have a three-day uh, workshop happening in March where people will be able to go through this entire process of identifying the social identity, constructing it really extrapolating all those limiting beliefs, going deep into uh, the social flow framework and every single vertical from winning buy-in for our ideas to building deeper community to navigating conflict to all these big verticals. And so so those are some things that people can check in there. But all that information is available on my personal website, itsandrewhorn.com. So check that out. And uh, yeah, would love to connect with anybody on the socials or through there if I can ever be helpful. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, and we would love to continue this conversation somewhere with you down the road, either maybe on here or maybe in person when we see you again soon. So uh, thank you so much, Andrew, for being here today. You've shared some great stuff and uh, see you down the road. All right. Thanks, guys. 
Thank you very much for listening to this episode of The Decade Podcast. I would like to ask you to reflect on anything in this episode that impacted you or left an impression that you could take with you in this decade of action. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend or in your network on social media. And as always, feel free to reach out with feedback, questions or topics you would like us to cover. You can reach us through our social media or on the decade podcast at gmail.com. And we hope to see you more further down the road throughout this decade. Thank you. Until next time.